in verse 30 and going down through chapter 10, uh, verse 4. Romans chapter 9. What then shall we say? The Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained it. That is a righteousness that is by faith. But that Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. They were, they have stumbled over the stumbling stone as it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stumbling stone, a stone of stumbling, excuse me, and a rock of offense. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Let's pray this morning. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this day and we, we ask that you would uh, just speak to us this morning through your word, that we would come into your presence and, and uh, delight ourselves in you. Give me the words uh, to say this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Uh, amen. We want to start this morning by asking uh, a question, uh, just a, an important question when you think about it, that we often uh, don't ask in, in this life. Uh, some people go through their entire lives without asking this. And the question is this morning, how can I stand before God in righteousness? How can I, a sinner, stand before God? What does it take to come into the presence of a holy God? Well, it takes a righteousness. It takes a proper standing. Uh, the Scriptures say, without holiness, no one can see the Lord. And so how is it that I can become righteous and have that which is necessary to stand before God? We just celebrated the 500th uh, anniversary of the Reformation. And we typically mark the start of the Reformation uh, with Martin Luther's hanging his 95 theses on a door in Witt, uh, Wittenberg. And... Um, I mentioned this last week, but one of the things that we sometimes forget is that Martin Luther was plagued in his conscience with this issue. How can I come before God? How can I come before God and not face wrath and judgment and punishment for my sins? And part of the Reformation, Martin Luther was lecturing and preaching through uh, the book of Romans. And he began to understand that we have a righteousness that comes from God. So we ourselves need to ask this question. And sometimes we go through all of our lives and we get so busy and so wrapped up with how am I going to pay the bills and what's this going to happen and how are the kids going to do and how am I going to get them through life and, and all of these pressures of the daily life that we don't stop for a moment and look towards eternal things. How can I come into the presence of God? How can I know that I will go to heaven when I die? How can I stand before God in righteousness? First, this morning, righteousness comes by faith and is not pursued under the law. 
Paul is going to tell us the differences here between the Gentiles who are now getting saved and receiving the Gospel versus uh, most of Israel who was rejecting the Gospel and looking for God in and through other things. So righteousness comes by faith and is not pursued by keeping the law. So Paul is answering the question, why did the Gentiles receive something they weren't looking for, but Israel missed what she was seeking? Look at verse 30 and 31. What shall we say then? The Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it. That is a righteousness that is by faith. But Israel, who pursued a law that would have led to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching that law. The Gentiles are are getting saved. They're coming to the Gospel. They're receiving a righteousness uh, that comes from God. And they are receiving it by faith. But Israel, she had pursued a law that would lead to righteousness. So you think here about the Gentiles. And Ephesians chapter 2 Verses 11 and 12 says that they were once the uncircumcised. That they were at one time separated from Christ. Alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant promises. Having no hope and without God in the world. And yet now Paul is saying they're coming to salvation. But you would think they are the last people to come to salvation. You would think Israel having the Old Testament having uh, the, the promises of God would come and understand these things and would be ready for her Messiah and would receive Jesus as the promised Messiah. And yet, they did not. Israel pursued the law for righteousness, but did not attain to the law. So we have the beginning of Romans. Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of the Gospel For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Romans 3.28 And we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Romans 5.4.5 And the one who does not work, but believes in Him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. To justify means in this context to declare righteous. And when we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, we receive from God a declaration, a gift of righteousness. And it is received through faith. We are to look for it and, 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 and come to it only through faith. Through believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul has said it is that we are justified by faith apart from works of the law. In other words, apart from acts of obedience in response to God's good law. Now, should we obey God? Yes. Do we, though, through obeying God, get salvation? No. Do I become righteous by how I live in response to God? No. I receive righteousness through faith. And so this is what Paul means, that they weren't pursuing righteousness. They weren't generally looking for God. 
But now in the coming of the gospel, they've attained it by faith. Verse 31, but Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching that faith. So here the phrase is that she pursued a law of righteousness. And the translation of the ESV says a law that would lead to righteousness. The King James says a law of righteousness. The NIV says a law as the way of righteousness. And what it means is, what did Israel pursue? She took the law of God and used the law to say, if I can keep the law, I will have a righteousness before God. They were trying to do good acts of obedience. And they said, if I am going to come into the presence of God, if I am going to have honor and an everlasting name and all the promises of the age to come, I need to be zealous in keeping the law. Most of them probably would have acknowledged that the law was a gift. They probably would have acknowledged that the law as a gift was was an act of grace of God. God didn't have to give Israel the law. And yet, they took the law and they measured performance by how well they kept the law. Therefore, they didn't look to God's grace and they didn't trust God in faith. Uh, But they said, okay, God has given us the law and now we need to be faithful. We need to obey. And if we obey, we will have righteousness. So they pursued a law of righteousness, but it says they did not succeed in reaching that law. Paul has said earlier in Romans chapter 3.20 that through the law comes knowledge of sin. Romans 3.21, the righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. They didn't use the law properly. The law should have exposed their sin and, and drew them to faith where they would look at Christ and say, this is our Messiah and we need Him. We have broken the law. God's righteousness, His saving activity where He declares people to be righteous who have faith in Him, it didn't come through the law. It was promised in the law You can look in the Old Testament. You can look in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the first five books, which which would have technically been called the Law or the Torah. And you can find promises of Christ. You can find all of these things set up so that we know we would need Christ. We talked this morning in Sunday school about the Passover lamb. And that's set up in Exodus and that's fulfilled in the Gospels that Jesus has to be the Passover lamb. But Israel assumed if we stick to the law, if we keep God's covenants, then we will be able to have righteousness before God. And what does Paul say? They did not succeed in reaching the law. Why? Not only does Paul, I think it's interesting here, not only does Paul say they didn't succeed in reaching righteousness, although that's certainly true, He says they didn't succeed in reaching the law. It's not that they tried to fulfill the law and and they just didn't get enough righteousness. It's that they didn't even fulfill the law. We cannot in and of ourselves keep the standards of God by our own strength 
and our own ability. Even as Christians, the best that we have to offer the Lord is, is works that are tainted still by sin. And that's why we say good works don't lead us to salvation. They're not the grounds for salvation, but they're the response of faith. And so, as a believer, I should go on and be obeying God and walking in God's ways, but the grounds of my salvation never relies on how I've lived my life. I never go into the presence of God and say, I did all of these things for you. Here is my righteousness by which you'll let me into heaven. The path that you should walk in this life as a believer is in paths of righteousness, obedience in response. And yet, the grounds of our salvation is always receiving a righteousness that comes through Christ. So Paul has said to the Jews, uh, Romans chapter 2, verses 23 and 24, You who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. James 2.10 For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of it all. Galatians, I'm sorry, that's James 2.10. This is Galatians 5.3. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision, he is obligated to keep the whole law. Meaning if you take on one of the marks of the covenant, a big one being circumcision, you have to do everything. And that is quite exactly the problem. None of us walk in perfection and faithfulness to God. We don't keep the covenant as we should. We don't follow God's law. So Paul says in Galatians 3.21, is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. Now get this. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would have indeed be by the law. The law was never intended to give righteousness. God didn't give the law to His people and say, now, if you can just do this, you will earn a status with Me. The law spells out what a holy God looks like and what a holiness looks like. That's why it also has ceremonial law. Like all of those rules about how they can and can't go into uh, the tabernacle and and what makes you clean and what makes you unclean. They're they're ceremonies and we look at them and we say, wow, that's pretty picky. But it was a reminder of all of the effort that it takes to go before God to say God is holy and not to be trifled with. And out of that law spelling out sin, they were to look and say, yeah, I'm a sinner and I need to trust God and I need to look forward to the coming Messiah. And they were the, the whole point of the Old Testament, well, not every point of the Old Testament, but, but one of the major points of the Old Testament is what? Israel can't keep the law. She disobeys. And, and kind of the climax of the story of the Old Testament is she goes to Babylon, exiled, separated from God's promised land. The temple, that place where God would dwell and manifest Himself, destroyed. Why? Because righteousness didn't come through the law. And Israel broke the law. And so you see in the prophets glimpse and hopes and they're looking forward to the coming Messiah and they're looking forward to that great day 
where God will send His Son and a light will shine in the darkness, as Isaiah 9 says. And the Gospel will be heralded to the nations. But Paul is saying, Israel, by and large, in his day, has missed it. Why? Because she thought she could do things by her own power and her own strength. She thought she could be justified by how she lived her life. And some of us, maybe sitting in the room here today, think the very same thing. We think to ourselves, I love God. I know who God is. Of course I believe in Jesus that He died on the cross. Of course I trust Him. And then we say to ourselves, but if I want to be really sure that I have a right standing before God, it's up to me. And if I don't obey God enough, I won't go to heaven. And we make this subtle slide away from genuinely trusting in Christ into trusting in our good works. We call it legalism. There's a type of legalism that says you can't get saved. You won't go to heaven if you don't obey God. There's a type of legalism that sometimes crops up in the church that says, well, of course trust Christ. Yeah, 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 that's obvious. But now, rely on yourself to grow in righteousness. And we pull out the long list of commands. Even good biblical commands sometimes. We use them in such a way to to beat ourselves up and say, well, if you really want to be assured of your righteousness before God, this is what you need to do. And so we sort of treat Christianity kind of like a mulligan on the golf course. You know how a mulligan, you know, you mess up and so you put the ball down again and you give it a second shot? We sort of treat it that way. That, okay, the cross of Christ forgave me for all of those sins in the past. Now I'm going to tee the ball up again and I'm going to try really hard on my own this time to do righteousness. And we say, I'm going to take a second shot at it. Because everything in the past is wiped away. Now it's all up to me going forward. That is not the Gospel. That I am saved from start to finish through the work of God. I am united to Christ and in Jesus Christ I am declared righteous. What I need to stand before God is received through faith. It comes from Christ. His death and His resurrection. His Perfect righteousness given to me as a gift. Second, this morning, righteousness is received by faith and not appropriated by works. We've already been hinting at this a little bit, so I guess I kind of get excited and get a little bit ahead of myself. But righteousness is received by faith and not appropriated by works. So, in pursuing the law, Israel pursued righteousness by work, not by faith. So, verse 32... Why? Because they did not pursue it. What is it? The righteousness. They did not pursue it by faith as if it were based, but, excuse me, but as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone. There are two ways to pursue righteousness. One is right and one is wrong. The one way says it is by faith. And I put my faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
and, and I get something that doesn't belong to me. Uh, Martin Luther called it an alien righteousness. Now, he didn't mean alien like Star Trek and doo-doo-doo, but he meant alien in the sense that it was outside of himself. Meaning, he knew that he wasn't righteous and he had no goodness or righteousness inside of himself. And through faith, God gave him this gift that really shouldn't belong to him. He got the verdict that he did not deserve. The second way is pursuing it by the law, by works. If I just do these things, I will receive a righteousness. I will have righteousness. I will grow in righteousness. It's kind of like getting your allowance. Did your parents ever make like an allowance for you? And, you, you know, you go to them, and you say, OK, I want I want money. And then they say, well, you're going to have to earn it. And then they say, you know, if you if you make your bed, that's a dollar. And if you uh, load the dishwasher, that's a dollar. And if you uh, sweep the floors, that's a dollar. You can track that. You know, that's by works. You want three dollars. You just go do three things. If you want one dollar, you're like, eh, I don't really want to do all the work, but I need a dollar for packing. OK, well, I'll just make my bed today. You know, you can, you can gauge what you're getting by how much you do. And that's what this by works looks like. You can lay out the law and then you start telling yourself, okay, well, you know, I've, I've gotten these three commandments right, so I got some righteousness here. The problem is, if you break one of the commandments, that's it. You're a sinner. And so we treat life wrongly and we start to think in terms of like a balance scale. When you're operating by works, you know, sort of like, well, if I have more good deeds and that outweighs uh, my bad deeds, uh, I'm doing pretty good. But that's not how sin works. If I could use the line from that that uh, commercial where those two ladies are, are in the room and she puts things and she says, this is my wall. And the other lady goes, that's not how it works. That's not how any of it works. This isn't how salvation works. It's not by works. Again, Romans 3.28, For we hold that as one, one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Romans chapter 4. If you just want to put your finger in Romans 9 and flip back to Romans 4, we're going to look at Abraham really quick. Romans chapter 4, uh, verses 2 through 5. For if Abraham was justified by works... Now, now Paul is giving you a hypothetical here. If Abraham was saved or declared righteous or justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does Scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, to the one who works, his wages are counted as a gift, but not as a gift, excuse me, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in Him who justifies the ungodly, His faith is counted as righteousness. What does God do in salvation? He declares righteous the ungodly sinner who puts his faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we aren't godly in and of ourselves, but we are given this verdict of righteousness. It is like the God on the throne as the judge when you believe already declares the verdict. You are righteous. But 
but inside you're not. Now, He's forgiving you of your sins. He cleanses them. He wipes them away. But you're still not inside yourself righteous. You're ungodly. You're still a sinner. But that's the point of salvation. God does a work in you. And He gives you what you need to stand before His throne. A righteousness that comes because of Jesus' work. Now, once you're saved, we do go on and, and we should manifest good habits, the fruit of the Spirit, those things. But those never qualify us for heaven. Those are merely the fruit of what God has already given us. And so, salvation is not by works, but through faith. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Titus chapter 3, verses 5, 6 and 7. He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Righteousness comes through faith, through trusting in God and the Lord Jesus Christ. I cannot contribute anything to my righteousness. I receive it through faith. And so Israel pursued righteousness by works so much that she stumbled over Jesus Christ when He actually came. Look at the end of verse 32. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone. Verse 33, As it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense, and whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. This is actually two uh, quotes here. Part of it is from Isaiah 8. Part of it is from Isaiah 28.16. In Isaiah 8 it says, And He, actually talking about the Lord, He will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense, a rock of stumbling. Isaiah 28, verse 16, Therefore thus saith the Lord, Behold, I am the one who has laid a foundation in Zion, a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste, or whoever believes will not be put to shame. This language here is that Christ is this stumbling stone. God lays Him down as a foundation, just like you might lay a giant cornerstone at the foundation when you build a building, particularly the temple in the ancient world. And the idea here is that if you trust in Christ, you will not be put to shame. But what happened to Israel? Because she was so zealous at pursuing the law and saying basically, I got this. I'm I'm good. I can do this. I'll respond to God. She tripped over Christ. You ever... ever, um, put on a trailer hitch and those giant knobs they put on the back? Did you ever, some of you are smiling, you know where this is going, did you ever knock your shin into one of those? Man, does that hurt, doesn't it? That's just, that smarts, you know, you're like, ah! 
Ah, they nailed themselves on the rock that was supposed to be their salvation. They tripped over it. They stumbled over it. They got hung up on it. They could not believe that Jesus was actually the Messiah, that He was actually dying for them. They could not understand or respond and say, oh, this is how salvation is coming. Because they were so focused on doing it their way. Paul will use this Isaiah verse again in Romans 10:11, talking about believing in Jesus. And he'll say, everyone who believes in Him will not be put to shame. It's fascinating here. There's, there's a subtle defense that Jesus is truly God the Lord. Because in these passages in Isaiah, it is in Isaiah 8, the Lord, Yahweh, Jehovah, who is the stone of offense. And Paul takes that and says, Jesus is the stone of offense. He's telling us that Jesus is God. That Jesus is truly God. uh, God the Son. And so only those who trust in Christ will be vindicated on the day of judgment. And on the day of judgment, when you stand before God, the only way you'll be able to enter into the presence of God is if you've trusted in Christ and received the work that He's done for you. Your good works in this life will not get you into heaven. They are not the grounds by which you can stand before God. They are not how you're saved. Christ, then, is sufficient to save. And faith alone, in Christ alone, is sufficient to receive grace. Any scheme of salvation that tells you righteousness must be appropriated or received by how you live your life, does not understand the Gospel. Righteousness is received through faith, through trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the moment I trust in Christ, I receive the fullness of that gift of righteousness. If I were to die that instant, I would go right into the presence of God. It's how we know our salvation is secure. It's how we know we can be with God when we die. How do I know I'm going to go to heaven when I die? Because of Christ. Well, how did you receive Christ? Did you do something for it? Did you earn it? Did you get on God's good side? Did you live a good enough life and then He loved you? No. You simply said, I'm a sinner and I believe in Jesus Christ. Forgive me of my sin. And you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and God raised Him from the dead. That's it. That's it. That's how you receive salvation. From that moment on, those who truly profess faith in Christ are going to heaven. Now, there's still much to do in this life. We don't just kick it back and say, okay, well, I'm just going to live however I want now. No. Paul's dealt with that already in Romans. But it is never because of me and what I do that God lets me into heaven. Third, this morning. Righteousness comes by submitting to God's righteousness and not seeking my own. Paul affirms then he wants Jews to be saved. He says in verse 1 of chapter 10, Brothers, my heart's desire 
and prayer to God for them is that they might be saved. This goes back to, to chapter 9, verses 1 through, through 5, where he talks about all of the good gifts and he wishes that he could be cut off for their sake. He, he loves his brothers in Judaism and the heirs of, of yeah, the Jewish nation. Then he says, verse 2, For I bear them witness that they have zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. They don't know God, but they have a zeal for Him. They're passionate, but it's a misplaced passion. They're on fire, but it's a misplaced fire. And Paul, more than anyone, can identify with this. Remember how in Acts, he He's holding the coats of those who are stoning Stephen. He's cheering them on. Yeah, yeah, all right. These people who think this Jesus is their Messiah, Paul's going, I'm zealous for God. He gets permission to go off to Damascus and and raid the Christians, arrest them, drag them uh, back to Jerusalem, beat them up if he has to, perhaps even put some to death. And Paul is going, I'm doing this because I love God. I'm zealous for Him. And on the road to Damascus, Jesus appears to him. And Paul says, who are you? And Jesus says, I'm the one you're persecuting. Paul sees the glory of God in the face of Christ. And suddenly he has knowledge. And the knowledge is that he was on the wrong team. He thought he had zeal for God and he finds out he's attacking God. Some of the heroes of of Jewish life, particularly in that day and age, were known for their zeal. One of the figures that, that had zeal was the Maccabees. You know how they light Hanukkah and they light the candles and they're celebrating some of what went on in between the two testaments. And there was a man named Mattathias. And it says in the book of Maccabees, now this isn't Scripture, but you just have to understand, when Paul says they have zeal without knowledge, he's talking about a very real thing. It says of Mattathias that he burned with zeal and his heart was stirred and he gave vent to righteous anger. And he ran and he goes up onto the altar and he kills a man who's offering pagan sacrifice on the altar of the Lord. And the idea is he's zealous for God. And they rally the people. And, and they, it, it's kind of like if, you, if you've ever watched the movie 300 and the, the 300 Thermopylae, or the 300 soldiers from Sparta run out. And you know how the, the general of the battle is like, for Sparta! And they rally everybody out. Well, well, Mattathias is like, for the covenant! You know, and they're like, we're going to follow God! And they're like, yeah! You know? And there's all of these pagans that, are, that have desecrated the temple and they, they've built a, a gymnasium in Jerusalem. And, and we think of a gym and we think of like Gold's Gym or Let's Work Out. But like a gymnasium was a place for, for pagan practices as well. And they would actually exercise naked there. And so right away, you know, you were embarrassed if you were circumcised. And so there was this, this led to some of the Jew-Gentile tensions. It was having a gym in Jerusalem was, again, not like having a workout center. It was like having this pagan 
uh, idol right in the center of town. And so, anyways, it says they burned for a zeal for the law. Then he says, let everyone who is zealous for the law and supports the covenant come out with me. And it says, Mattathias and his friends went around and they tore down the altars. They forcibly circumcised all the uncircumcised within the borders of Israel. They hunted down the arrogant. Then he says later on, they rescued the law out of the hands of the Gentiles and kings. In other words, these these wicked sinners were profaning God's law. And Mattathias says, for the covenant, we're going to pursue the law. We've got this. And in some ways, he was right. He was trying to, to follow God and be faithful. And this is before the coming of Christ. But this is what zeal looked like. And this would have been the stories that Paul heard growing up. You need to be zealous for God. And so when Paul says they have zeal without knowledge, he understands that. He was on fire, but he, but he missed the Messiah. He was passionate about saying, hey, we've got to keep the law because, look, when we didn't keep the law in the Old Testament, we went into exile. But the solution wasn't, let's go back and keep the law. The solution for we have sinned and broken the covenant should have been, let's look to the coming of Christ. You see why Paul says they were pursuing a righteousness by the law or they were pursuing the law for righteousness? Mattathias thought he could rescue the covenant. We can do this. We can fulfill the requirements and and we will do the rescuing. God's using us. But it subtly becomes a means of attaining your righteousness before God. You pat yourself on the back. You know, God needs me. God doesn't get my obedience. What, What good am I? And you miss the righteousness that comes from faith. You miss Christ. And so it says in verse 3, and being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. They were trying to do it their way. And they missed God's saving righteousness in Christ. And so it says in verse 4, for the end, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Christ brings to completion the covenant of the Old Testament. He fulfills the law, paying for sin. There is a sense where, as a believer now, the Holy Spirit writes God's law in my heart. But He does that because Christ has brought an end to the Old Covenant, paying for the transgressions done under the Old Covenant and bringing the New Covenant to me. So that righteousness, that standing that I need before God, comes through Christ to everyone who believes. This would have been powerful in the first century. It would have been controversial. People would have been upset. Paul's saying we don't need to be circumcised. Paul's saying we don't need to follow the food laws. But that's what sets us apart, they would say. Remember Mattathias! Paul says, now we've got a righteousness that comes through Christ by faith. 
I submit to you that this is controversial in our own day. That this is even controversial inside the church. And maybe we would say, oh, well, you know, Pastor, it would never come into our church. But it can. It was in the church in Martin Luther's day. It's cropped up in the church, down through church history, this mentality of I can do it myself. I can save myself. My good works will contribute to my position before God. The most pernicious form of this, the most sneaky form of this, is not the one that denies faith, but the one that says, well, yeah, okay, sure, faith, but make sure you have enough good works. That's not how it works. The righteousness that I need to stand before God is received by faith. And only by faith. And that faith is only in Christ. If I'm trusting something else, if I'm relying on something else, if I think I can do it through something else, I don't understand how righteousness is received. Let's close in a word of prayer. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we ask this morning uh, that You would work in us, that we would respond to Your saving graces, that we would see that the righteousness that we need can come only through uh, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, Uh, that it's not appropriated by what we do or how we do it. Even, Lord, today as we take communion, we're not storing up righteousness in ourselves through taking these elements. We're not adding to that gift of righteousness. We're proclaiming the Lord's death until You come again, Jesus. We pray that You would be with us this morning, that we would respond, and that Your Word would be heard. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to come this morning and we're going to uh, take communion.